thank you all for being here, and most importantly, thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, suffering, and not just suffering, but rising from the dead. In fact, that's what I want to talk about today. I'm going to call it the greatest love of all. In John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, there's no greater love than one would lay down his life for his friends. Now, it's commendable. I want to say in the beginning to be willing to suffer, but the greatest love of all doesn't sacrifice merely to impress you, but to win you, help you, bless you, lift you, and celebrate you. That's the whole story of John 15, 13, and often we kind of avoid talking about the crucifixion on Easter Sunday. Naturally, I understand why, but we need to gaze at the mangled body of Jesus but that suffering doesn't fully capture that verse in John 15, 13. The purpose that Jesus went for was to suffer, but not just to suffer. Yes, Friday mattered in the Holy Week, but the resurrection is the completion of God's love story. So you really can't separate Friday from Sunday. The passion that God has for you wasn't fully expressed in Christ dying for you but in his desire to live for you. That's my mass point today. In this famous passage, it's not only about the heroism of sacrifice and suffering, it's way more. You know, the hero in all of our hero myth stories, uh, they all make the, the stories that we love and we keep coming back to and we re keep retelling through our movies and um, our fiction books. They all come back to the hero makes an ultimate sacrifice for the object of his, his passion. Uh, so many of the heroes in the superhero fantasy movies and ancient stories po point to the ultimate hero who died to save us from ourselves and repair what was fully wrong with the world. Everything from George and the dragon, when George challenges the dragon, risks his life for the dragon, or against the dragon, and he gets the gold and he gets the girl. And in the story of redemption, you are the gold and you are the girl that Christ died for. And he was after you. So the completion of the story we see in other movies like The Matrix where the, the hero Neo in that story, who's a type of Christ, who dies, who must die in order to prove that he is he must die and be resurrected in order to prove that he is the chosen one. And he is brought to life by, it's, it's a female, of course, but that's irrelevant really to the story. It's the, the, in that case, she is the type of the father. She's the type of the father God who by showing her love to the corpse raises him and he comes back to begin the work of saving us all from the matrix. <laughs> Those stories over, and in fact, J.R. Tolkien, uh, the great uh, creator of th these great stories that we love, uh, uh, I, the movie slips my mind at the moment that, uh, that, I, that I like so much, but, uh, but J.R. Tolkien convinced C.S. Lewis, he convinced C.S. Lewis that, th that the true myth of of our mythical heroes was Jesus. And it, it caused, I, I got to spend a whole day, I'm still on my sabbatical, uh, so, th so this is actually the metaverse, 
this sermon, this me here today, I'm not really here, I'm in the metaverse. <laughs> so uh, uh, I got to spend a whole day with a bunch of professor types in Houston, Texas, talking about C.S. Lewis. And uh, that was a fabulous day that I'll never, ever forget. Now, hopefully I'm going to bring a couple of those, uh, those uh, pointed head professor types here to speak to us. And I got to talk to them and get to know them, and that was cool. But, but the main thing is, is uh, C.S. Lewis, who had a brain the size of a house, chose, chose the mythical stories to bring Christ to the world. So, I mean, face it, you would, you would rather go watch a movie than read a 1,200-page read a book about academic truth, right? You would much rather go to the movies or listen to a song. So good news, Jesus is in the arts and the songs and the movies. He's all over the place. You can't keep a good man down, right? <laughs> the greatest love of all says, I have a plan for winning, not punishing you. Celebrating, not eliminating you, are the people who have failed me. Um, we, as I said, as I kind of alluded to, we remember stories, don't we? And I, uh, so I, I'm thinking of the, I've been to six church services. I love going to church. I don't just come to church because it's my job. I love going to church. I love the body of Christ. I love God's people. I love preachers and all of that. So I, I, I went to a, a, a church in Conroe, Texas a few weeks ago. And the pastor told this killer story that I want to share with you right now. Because it's about, it's about why Jesus rose from the dead. They had a neighbor. They had a refrigerator outside. And you, you, in Texas, you can have your refrigerator outside. And so they had the refrigerator outside, and the food in the refrigerator began to disappear. And not from them. And they realized that their neighbor, who wasn't a very good neighbor to start with, and they didn't get, really get along with him, was stealing their food out of the refrigerator. Not sure how they realized it, but they realized it. And so they were churchgoers, they were believers, and his dad was so upset, he wanted to go hurt the guy. And he went to the men of the church, and this is why you need a church and you need a community. Um, I just give a little advertisement for church membership right now. Uh, so his dad is wanting to, wanting to assault the guy or call the police or something like that. And the men of the church said to him, no, don't do any of that. Go to the grocery store, fill up a basket full of groceries, and take them to him. That's what he did. Went to the grocery store, fulfilled, took the man groceries. But you know the end of the story. You already know the end of the story. It's the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, proving that he didn't just come to suffer for us and be some suffering hero that we would, we would just forever, oh, this suffering hero, let's, he, what, a, what a great suffering hero who would suffer so much. He didn't just suffer for you. He wants to win you. He wants to spend his life with you. And so, of course, the man went to church and became a born-again Christian. Some 20-something years later, he's still a part of that family, and they're still friends because the message of the cross and the message of the resurrection is a story of redeeming love, the greatest love of all. 
you know, choosing, sometimes we can get very proud of our suffering. We get very proud that we suffer at the hands of our children or our spouse or um, whatever. But choosing to stay stuck in suffering can be the most narcissistic, unloving decision you could ever make. Jesus loved you so much, he didn't just get stuck in his suffering. He triumphed for you. How many of you need some people in your life who won't just suffer for you and be, be your... Do, do you really want somebody to be your martyr? Is, is, isn't that a pretty miserable life to live with someone who's a martyr to your personality? Huh? Talk to me. <laughs> You're afraid. You're afraid to admit it publicly. <laughs> Jesus could have silently gone back to heaven forever claimed the high status of being the most unjustly abused person in history. He could have been history's poster, poster person for victimhood. But that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to reclaim intimacy with the object of his love. And that, turn to your neighbor and say, that was you. <laughs> Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't enjoy it. He didn't embrace it. He endured the cross, scorning the shame, and is set out in the right hand of God. And God raised, that's in Hebrews 12 too, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. Ephesians 2, 6. Isaiah 53, 11 says, he shall see, and this is a great verse, you've got to think about this verse or you, or, you, or you won't get it. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. Every every. Every birthing person in the room knows what travail is. <laughs> and you know, and you know, there's something so satisfying about finally, after nine months and a bunch of pain and a bunch of suffering, seeing the travail of your soul. And the travail of your soul, you even give them a name, like... Ellie or Eden or you give them a name and, you, and then you love them for the rest of their life because that was the point the point was not to suffer the point was to give new life the point was to the point was birth amen <laughs> can I just I haven't preached in like six weeks can I just have a couple hours <laughs> you don't care it's Easter right <laughs> You're lying. You don't want me to do it all day. <laughs> Apostle Paul did that one time, and a guy fell out of the window and broke his neck. And that's Apostle Paul, and I ain't no Apostle Paul. The greatest love of all, i got to get into the sermon. It's 948. The greatest love of all says, I'm not going to go up unless I can take you with me. That's the greatest love of all. I love... A man told me his personal testimony one night, one day. 
And he said a friend looked at him at the end of a party as he was going to get in his car and said to him, Dave, I don't want to spend eternity without you. He went to his car. His wife was already in the car. He said, you won't believe what Bill just said to me. He just said he doesn't want to spend eternity without me. Next time he saw Bill, he said, I crossed the line of faith. I'm going to spend eternity with you. I go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also, Jesus said. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Everything about Jesus' ministry and his very identity was about him opening up the opportunity for you to have what he had and go where he was going. He identified as the way. Not the wall. (laughs) The way. He identified as the light. He identified as the gate. I'm the gate that lets you in the sheepfold. He identified himself as the door. Not the barrier, the, the door. He identified as all of these things that indicate opening into a new world. It's, 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 it's C.S. Lewis's uh, 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 um, wardrobe. <laughs> Where they... They go into the world that is unknown to everyone else. And for every one of you that are saved this morning, and every one of you have received Christ, you know exactly what I'm talking about. A world has been opened up to you that, that changes your life, that transforms you completely. Amen? Jesus didn't have students. He didn't have constituents. He didn't have members. He had followers. Whoa, that's really different, you know? That's really different than having a member or a constituent or a subscriber. We all know about subscribing to things, don't we, now that the Internet is... uh, We're having to subscribe to everything so they can get our contact information or a monthly payment or something. Jesus didn't have subscribers. He had followers. That means... I'm going where he's going. I'm going to do what he's doing. I'm going to be what he is. Amen? The, the prodigal son, he, Jesus said, no one comes to the father except through me. The prodigal son, that story of the father running to meet the son, reconferring son status on him. If you don't know the story, uh, God bless you, go read it today. Luke chapter 15, go read it. He, the, the father's waiting on the son, and he runs to meet the son and, and Ken Bailey, who's an expert in, in uh, Eastern uh, culture, has written very eloquently about this and says that grown men did not run in the, the New Testament times. In biblical times, in ancient times, it was considered unmasculine to run and hug somebody. But we see the Father. Jesus tells the story, and he presents the Father in a totally different, different light. Not, a, not as some e- emotionless, distant, bearded man who, who's, who's kind of senile and doesn't really get stories and things anymore, but he presents them as a father who runs with deep emotion and reconfers sonship status on his son. The late, great Eugene Peterson said it this way when quoting 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Christ is the, which is the King James or the NIV says, Christ is the first fruits of those who slept. I love what, uh, how Eugene Peterson turns that phrase. Christ has been raised up 
he said. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautifully said? To say, how can a God of love send people to hell? That's, not, that's the wrong question. God is asking a different question. How can I keep them from going there? Jesus knew that without his suffering, suffering at every level, by the way, he couldn't have access to our prison with the keys that he held. Jesus knew that if he didn't show up on the scene and do what he had to do, you would have to spend eternity in darkness separated from the Heavenly Father and all that is beautiful and all that is lovely. If you think God is responsible for sending the people to hell, then you're not paying attention to the way we humans are creating a living hell for ourselves every day. You're not paying attention at, 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 our, at our expert ability to create hell out of heaven constantly. Furthermore, you're ignoring your own pattern. Your own pattern and my own pattern of choosing chaos over peace. Pain over paradise. I do it all the time. Sickness over health. Apathy over love and hell over heaven. We do it all the time. Yeah, self-love is a thing with some qualification, I would say. A good thing. But the idea that it's the greatest love of all is not only wrong, it's a very corrupting concept. Linda Creed and uh, Michael Masser wrote a very famous song that you've all heard that says, I have found anyone who fulfills my needs. I've never found, I'm sorry, let me quote it again. I've never found anyone who fulfills my needs. A lonely place to be, and so I learned to depend on me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me, learning to love yourself. It is the greatest love of all. Oh, no, no, no. The greatest love of all is not learning to love yourself. Now, you should learn to love yourself, so I'm not negating it. I'm saying, what is the great? Jesus said, no greater love hath any man that he would lay down his life for his friends. The greatest love of all is when the greatest being, the being of all beings, loves you. Amen. That's the greatest love of all. The greatest love of all released God's primary agent of wisdom, creativity, and love into the world. This is huge. This is no small thing, what I'm about to say. I'm telling you, it's huge. And if you happen to be here today, and I hope you are, I hope some of you are here today and who don't, you don't normally go to church. You're here because of Easter. Mom wanted you to go. Your spouse wanted you to come or your kids or whatever. And so we're, we're really glad you're here today. But what I'm about to say, you're going you're gonna to understand because you know it. You know that there is a person, a presence, a being that's been released into the world that talks to everyone. The Bible says this. This is an amazing verse, by the way. In the Bible, just, a, oh, what a book. What a book. You know? When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, a truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. It's funny, in churches, we, we've confined the Holy Spirit to the church. And the church service, even. I mean, even I, uh, Al Landry, who's my, oh, I, I miss Al so much. Uh, Al would call me on Monday after Sunday, and he would let me know whether the Holy Spirit was at the service or not. 
Seriously. He would call me up on Monday, many Mondays, and he would say, Pastor, the Holy Spirit was there yesterday. <laughs> or he would do the opposite. You know, if you knew Al, he was, very, he was very honest and blunt. He would go, the Holy Spirit didn't show up yesterday. <laughs> well, Al was really wrong because the Holy Spirit is, shows up everywhere for everybody, Christian or not Christian. I don't care if you're a Hindu, a Buddhist, a Muslim, an atheist, an agnostic, you know there's a voice. And you know there's a presence that's not you, and it's not your friends, and it's not the devil, because it speaks good things to you. And, and ha, let me ask you, how many of you, all your life, when you did something wrong, bad, dishonest, slamming, whatever, <laughs> you heard a voice that said, you see, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody in this room, I heard a voice that said, you shouldn't have done that. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit. Let me read the rest of it to you. Here, he will testify about me, and you almost testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin. God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Everybody on the planet can tell you something about sin, righteousness, what is right, and oh my goodness, judgment's coming on the world. But everybody knows it. Whether they call it global meltdown from global warming or they call it the coming of Christ, everybody knows judgment is coming. In fact, uh, uh, in fact, scientists tell us that judgment is coming. Secular scientists say we have a termination date. This is all going to end someday. They say the universe is winding down. I, I forget the famous... Uh, Scientist, physicist, he, he was uh, uh, physically, very physically challenged. I can't remember his name. Huh? Yeah, Hawkins. He, he was very clear that we had maybe 600 years. He's right. I don't know if it's 600 years or 6,000. I don't know. But the Bible teaches us that the end is the beginning. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And he conquered sin and death, and he conquered eternity for us. Finally, the greatest love of all properly addresses life's greatest problems. Now, there's probably a hundred problems that he addresses, but, but since, since regardless of your encouragement to preach all day, <laughs> I know you're just being nice. The greatest love of all. I'm, I'm going to give you five quick things, five quick dimensions of problems that the resurrection solves. Number one is the problem of believing that all things are possible. This is big. No matter what you're going through today, and no matter what problems you're facing in life. I'm not saying that God gives you a blank check and you get to dictate to him exactly how he's going to fix your problems. Because that would be false doctrine. 
good people, God's people, sometimes die. You know, we have accidents, things happen. Divorce happens, all kinds of things. So I'm not saying that. But, no matter what you're going through today, no matter what you're going through with illness, with physical problems, financial problems, relationship problems, no matter what you're going through, the resurrection proves that God can turn it around. Amen? Yeah, give the Lord a, give the Lord a hand. That was a nice golf clap you just gave the Lord Jesus. <laughs> but I bet you'll, you'll, get, you'll get crazy later, right? <laughs> See, if Jesus rose from the dead, anything's possible. Secondly, the problem of finding a reliable source of truth. See, it's, it's, we're, a lot of times we're hung up on learning the truth. I want to know the source of truth. Because if I can find out the source of truth, because if I can find out the truth today, something's going to come up tomorrow that the truth I learned today is not going to fit. And I thought, I thought Dell uh, preached a great sermon yesterday, last Sunday. I have been watching all the sermons. And everybody's done an amazing job, by, by the way. You've heard some good sermons. You have not suffered from bad preaching since I've been gone, I'm telling you. So Dell, wasn't that a great thought that he brought last Sunday, that, that God doesn't do things the same way. And he's going to do things, he's going to redeem the world to himself differently in here, in the, here in this part of the 21st century than he did in the 20th century. So, that's what, so back to my point. I need to know the source of truth. Tim Keller has a great quote. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That's profound. Thirdly, the problem of moving past my sin, the problem the resurrection solves is the problem of moving past my sins, failures, and shortcomings. I, I, I was speaking uh, yesterday afternoon to a small group of uh, of seniors, and 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 I and I wasn't sure if they would even grasp my question. But I but but I but I asked uh, I asked a question, and and I was really trying to make another point. I wasn't trying to lead them to repentance. I was trying to make a point, right? and I said, "How many of you have lied?" Every hand went up like that. Everybody has lied. <laughs> Everybody needs forgiveness. Everybody needs a redeemer outside of themselves. The resurrection solves that problem. So the resurrection solves the problem of believing all things are possible. The problem of getting past, uh, uh, the problem of ha uh, finding a reliable source of truth and the problem of moving past my sins and failures. And fourthly, the resurrection uh, solves the problem of moving past the sins, failures, and shortcomings of others. Now, this is huge. The crucifixion is forgiveness, but forgiveness falls short. You ever have anybody forgive you, but they will never move past what you did? 
they will not see the, 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 the cross only deals with the punishment of sin. The cross only deals with the penalty of sin. The resurrection deals with the restoration of the person. The resurrection deals, the resurrection moves God from merely forgiving me to God celebrating me. The biblical word is justification. We all know what that means if you've been around the church for a few years. Somebody has defined justification this way. Justification is just as if I never sinned. It's back to that martyr idea. You, you want to live with a martyr? Or you want to live with someone who celebrates you? You want to live with someone who celebrates you? Of course, the brief times that we're earthlings is so fleeting and short that the decision that really matters is the one you make for the, the light of eternity. Um, somebody shared a video with me the other day of Andy Stanley was speaking uh, about his father, relationship with his father. And uh, if you've read uh, the book Deep and Wide, you know that Andy had a, a very tempestuous, difficult relationship with his dad. And, uh, and uh, he, uh, he, he talks about a, a mentor of his that they were going around a running track one day and he's talking about his relationship with his dad. And the mentor said something to him that changed his trajectory. He said to him, Andy, have you ever thought of seeing your dad the way God sees him? And he transformed his image of his father because he knew that God loved his dad. He knew that God wasn't angry with his father. He knew that God celebrated his father. And I'm telling you, it will change your life if you will begin to see other humans through the lens of not just the cross, but if you will see them through the lens of the resurrection because Jesus Christ was raised to the set at the right hand of the Father. And, and, and hang on, hang on. He, the Bible says he was raised to set the right hand of the Father to ever live to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Amen. You got a friend. <laughs> you got a friend at the throne. I mean, think about that for a minute. You have a friend at the throne of God today. Every one of you. Finally, the eternal problem, that the, the, the big problem that the resurrection solves is the eternal problem of being separated from God forever. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. I understand images of hell as depicted in Dante's Inferno, uh, burning lake of sulfur and fire, is rejected by most people today. And um, I don't know for sure whether the fires of hell, whether that's symbolic language or not. Now, you may know, and that's fine, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure, and I, so I don't totally disagree with those people who would say it's symbolic language. That there's no place that's burning with fire where people are in flames for eternity. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But regardless, even if it's symbolic, even if it's metaphorical, the metaphorical is there to tell you something true. And the metaphorical or the symbolic means something. So it means that there is a state. It means there are two paths. One path that leads to eternity in the presence of God, the one who loves you like no other, 
are an eternity separated from the presence of God and his great, incredible love. The risen life is to live in the light of that eternity that is forever promised to be celebrated by one who invented, demonstrated, and facilitated the greatest love of all. We're about to sing a song that says, all the glory. Listen, to the, you can see the lyrics. I, I, I put them up there for you. All the glory and the honor to the Son. My sins are forgiven. My future is heaven. I praise God for what He's done. Sing for the freedom He has won. Even death is dead and done. His life is over. Come. Give the Lord praise right now.
Y'all stick around. I may, we may have you do that again. Um, I want to just talk to those of you who have not crossed the line of faith yet. And uh, this is the most important decision you could ever make, is the decision to cross the line of faith. It will open up this world of the kingdom of God to you, the world of love and the world of true forgiveness, the world of true restoration and reconciliation, the world of finding your purpose because probably nothing outside of wanting to breathe is more pressing to you is knowing why am I on this earth? Why, why have I been placed here? What have I been placed here to do? This decision to cross the line of faith and to see life through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the eternal kingdom of God will, more than anything I can think of, transform your values and center you around a purpose for life that extends even beyond this life. So, really, this decision, I, I just read the testimony of a man this week, if you read my weekly wisdom, you read about it, who began his relationship with God with three words, God, I thank you. Changed his whole life as he began to pray every day. So, I'm going to give you some words to say, and there are other ways of saying it, but I'm going to do the best I can to make it very simple. And I'm going to have you repeat after me. I want everyone to repeat. That'll make it easier for the people who are doing it for the first time. Here's what we're going to say. Let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that he died for my sins. Thank you that he rose on the third day. Thank you that I can be your child. I accept your offer to make me your child. Touch my heart. Change my life. In Jesus' name. Can we all praise him for what God has done? Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe you renewed your relationship with God, please go on our website. There's four first step videos. We have four videos. And if you will contact us, we will bring someone alongside you, if you like, to actually walk with you through those videos and talk to you about them. Also, anyone in the lobby, the, the, the helpers, I'll, I'll be hanging around. If you want to talk to us about your decision today, we would like to talk to you. God bless you and bless your journey with Jesus Christ.